sometimes you have to ask the question, do we get it? I mean, I want you to think about it because there are times all of a sudden we understand that the things are bigger than us and, and there's a need for something beyond us. And, and as a nation, the United States of America, I think one of those moments came right after 9-11. I mean, it shook us. I, all of a sudden, our country that felt so safe now wasn't safe any longer. And in that horrific moment, a lot of people started calling out to God. All over the country, signs called, and God we trust were put up. And I remember that the, the Sunday that followed 9-11, all of us who are pastors weren't ready for what happened. I mean, the churches were packed. People came to worship. They came to hear. They came to seek. They came because they call out to God. And, and there was like this amazing revival that was beginning. And then life just all of a sudden seemed to go back to normal and people started disappearing and they began to forget. They began to forget that it really should be in God we trust. They began to forget the need for God. Well, you know what? God very often gets our attention in different ways. And the question we have to ask is when that happens, do we get it? In Haiti recently, that earthquake came and awakened the world to an area of poverty and need maybe like no other. And the Haitian people all of a sudden began to cry out to God. I know I shared, uh, if you have been with us before, that I was watching ABC News and Diane Sawyer. As she got down there as quickly as she could, said she was struck by something. Everywhere she went through the country, she kept hearing a song being sung. And she finally asked, what are the words mean? And she found out the words were these, blessed be the name of our Lord. And she watched people raising their hands and crying and even showed it on film as in the midst of the destruction and in the midst of the the paralyzing fear, uh, God began to visit that country in an amazing way. So much so that the pastors of that country got together and the president, who many people feel may have been incredibly corrupt, seemed to have a spiritual awakening. And the president called for the nation of Haiti to gather together for three days of prayer and three days of fasting and three days of seeking God. And you know what blows my mind is almost as far as I can tell, no news media covered something as amazing as a million people coming together to pray and seek God for three days. Uh, we want to have you catch a glimpse of this, catch a, a moment of what happened and, and, and start asking this question. When, when we begin to face life, do we understand the importance of God? Do we get it? Do we get it? So watch this. The sun was rising on the morning of February 12, 2010. I could hardly believe my eyes. The crowd was gathering right in the shadow of the presidential palace there in Port-au-Prince. President Preval had canceled the annual Mardi Gras celebration and called his nation to three days of fasting and prayer. Pastor Rene Joseph, along with other national spiritual leaders, only had about five days to organize this event. And as the day began to break, there were more people than the eyes could even see. They were standing with their hands extended to heaven as Pastor Renee Joseph stepped to the microphone and gave the opening call. There were desperate Haitians crying out to God Almighty to forgive them and heal their country. There must have been one million or more 
filling that main square in the downtown area. Some had climbed trees, some were sitting on rooftops, some were sitting on tops of automobiles. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day for those three days, they came. Scriptures were read, prayers were prayed, songs of worship were offered up, declarations of repentance were made. The Prime Minister even arrived early the first morning. Oh, he, he did not speak. He simply stood there weeping for over an hour. He left only to return a few hours later, and he had President Preval with him, who then addressed the crowd. And the pastors laid their hands upon him and prayed the blessing of God over him as he stood there calling upon God to heal his country. You see, here was a nation who had been brought to her knees, and God was pleased. There were some 3,000 confirmed conversions during those three days, and of that number, 101 were confirmed to have been voodoo priests. You see, heaven opened over Haiti on February 12, 2010, and the Holy Spirit began to rain down. And I can tell you this, it is still raining. Well, man, I don't know about you, but when I see the hands laid on the president, I see the people seeking, I saw what was going on, it blew my mind. Pama and I have a friend who actually was down there during that period of time, and he got to partake in a lot of those days, and, and he said it just got him, it just got him. And so I'm going to ask today that God touches us in a way that we get it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a people who know the need for you, Lord, that we get it that we understand that you love us, we understand you care for us. And I pray right now you'd begin to move and turn and stir in our hearts, open our eyes to you. If there's somebody here who needs to come to know you, God, I pray you're going to start to reveal yourself. If there's someone who needs to come back, God, I pray they'd want to. And Father, in this moment, in this time, I pray that on this day, as we celebrate the most amazing moment in all time, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that we would get it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, that's the question I've been asking and thinking about is, do we get it? I mean, sometimes we see things and they just don't make sense. Like uh, uh, not too long ago, I was at Kaiser Hospital in Riverside and I walked into one of the bathrooms and I looked up and saw a sign that just literally, I mean, it shocked me a little. It said baby changing table, max weight. 250 pounds. <laughs> I began to think, man, how big are the babies in Riverside County? They're 250 pounds. And, and, and you know, I thought, well, wait, that just doesn't make sense. And, and you got to ask, do we get it? Uh, uh, one of the most amazing moments of my life, and I mean, I don't want to use that just superfluously. I mean, it really was. Pam and I got to go to Hawaii for the first time. And, and I remember that that was back when the TV show Lost had first started. And so I asked some people, where do they film Lost? And this girl who we knew in Hawaii took us to that beach. And I'm standing on the beach where the paint plane had been burned and almost all the filming had happened. And, and it looks so familiar. And, and I started walking out into that water that you've seen so many times on the show. And it was so warm and incredible. Man, I just start diving in and swimming around. And I'm just amazed at the moment. I'm amazed at how beautiful it is. I'm amazed there's nobody on this beach. And then some Hawaiians happened to come, and I guess they were going to you know, have lunch there on the beach. And they came walking out of the woods area, and, and they looked down at me, and they yelled at me. They said, isn't it amazing? 
And I said, yeah, it's amazing. And they go, no, 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 wait, aren't you amazed? And I, I said, well, yeah. And I'm yelling back from the water with the waves. And they go, no, you're swimming with turtles. And it was incredible. I looked around me. I thought it was rocks. And all of a sudden I dipped my head and I opened my eyes in that salt water just because I wanted to see. And it was so clear. And I'm literally swimming in the midst of these huge giant sea turtles that are swimming up near me and swimming back down. And as I changed directions, they moved with me. And here's what got me the whole time, the whole time I was in the water, I was in the midst of a magnificent moment but I had to open my eyes to see it. I had to change my perspective to get it. But when I got it, I mean, you talk about chills going down you. And no matter how many times you've seen those turtles on film or maybe even seen them, you know, from a distance to be in the water, to be that close, to have them literally interacting with me just literally blew my mind. And I got to tell you that, that it was a magnificent moment. I think that's a very, very clear picture of how it is with God. I think there are times in our life where God is there and we just don't get it. I mean, we don't get the amazement of it. We don't get the excitement of it. We don't get the majesty of it. We don't get the love. And and you ask, well, where is God? Is he here? And he's here. He's here. And even this moment, even right now, God is in our midst. Do we get it? Can we see him? In Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said these words. He said, surely... The Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Isn't that an amazing thing that the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only true God who fills the universe takes time to love and care for each one of us. But it's possible we can miss him. I mean, it's amazing to think about. In Job 33, we're told that God indeed speaks once and twice, yet no one notices it in verse 14. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that God does speak And the question is, do we get it? Because it says God speaks once and even twice. I mean, he's talking to you. He's reaching out to you. He's caring for you. And and you matter to him. Here's the question. He says, do we notice? And then it says there are three clear ways that God speaks. One, believe it or not, it's in dreams. And he talks about the fact that God may speak to us in our dreams. The second is, is, interestingly, God speaks to us in our pain. You know, it may be only in those moments of pain and hurt and agony, like a 9-11 moment that's so personal that we start crying out to God and beginning to sense his presence. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pain. And if you're hurting right now, you know what I want to tell you? He wants to shout to you, shout words of love and comfort and hope and maybe even direction. Uh, But God, God speaks in pain. So he speaks in dreams. He speaks in pain. But then in Job 33, it says he speaks through a mediator. Now, now the, the word that's used there often is angel. The idea is that God sends someone to be a message from him. And there are different times that God uses a mediator. But the most incredibly clear mediation, the most incredibly clear messenger, whoever came was Jesus. Jesus actually said he came that we might know the father. And so what happens is if we want to really hear from God, we need to turn most of all to the number one mediator of all Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived three years on there, 33 years on this earth, three years ministering in a way that so clearly portrayed God. We can't miss it for three years. He taught for three years. He cared for three years. He showed God's love and he showed the nature of God to us. So we would be able to have a, a tangible way to grasp it. And then he died. Not a normal death. I mean, you already know this. We celebrated on Good Friday. He was taken and put to death upon the cross. 
And as he hung there, the Bible teaches us that he died for our sins. Jesus said that's why he would come and die. He even said, nobody, nobody takes my life from me. In other words, he laid it down. He sacrificed himself for us. And we may not always be able to understand deeply. I'd say none of us are truly able to get the gravity of what that meant, the power of what that meant. But he came to love and care and died for us. And and so what happened is when he died, though, he had already said, in three days, I'm going to come back. I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, over and over again, he told the apostles that. But we're told even in the midst of him telling them, they didn't get it. They didn't get he'd have to die. They didn't get that it was going to be a, a time for him to conquer death. They didn't understand the, that, that that was what he was talking about. Why? Because it was kind of like they were swimming in the ocean with the turtles, the magnificence of it. And it just didn't register in their perception. And then we come to Easter Sunday. In John chapter 20, verse 1, where it says, Now it came on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple who we know as John ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and he entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head and not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed For as yet, they had not understood the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, there are three times the word in the English is saw. They looked at something. They saw something. But it's interesting because that's actually three different Greek words. That might say a lot about how people end up coming to faith in Christ. No, this room is filled with people right now with different histories and different uh, uh, backgrounds and different pains and different uh, victories and, and different experiences. And all of us will come into a relationship with God in a different way. God will deal with each one of us in the way that's best. But here's what I want you to grab. In this moment, we see two men who are very different from one another come to faith in an amazing way. And, and what happened is when they ran to the tomb, Peter stops and he looked in and it says he saw the linen wrappings lying there in verse five. The word saw is the word blepo. It literally means to see, to glance and to comprehend. Uh, he saw this, the initial things around him, but, but at this moment, what he did is just see what he could see, but he wasn't sure what was going on. Then what happens, it says in verse eight is that John, the other disciple ran and he began to look in and it says he saw, or or the Greek word there is he idened, I-D-E-I-D-E-N is the transliteration of that word. And that means to know absolutely and to perceive, to get everything that's happening. One of them saw and thought something occurred. The other one saw and realized he got it and he came to believe. And then it says Peter then in verse 11 or or verse uh, um, Um, Six, he looked in and what happened is he thoreoed the scene. He began to look at it. He beheld it and he began to ask questions about it. So we have three different Greek words for saw. In verse five, it's John 
uh, uh, looked and he blepoed it. In verse 6, Peter thoreoed. He began to ask questions about it. And then in verse 8, John eyed it and believed. And what we see are people seeing it from different perspectives. Let's go back to verse 6 and think about what happened when uh, Peter began to see it. It says, and Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he thoreoed the linen wrappings lying there. He began to look at them and he began to ask the question, what's going on? Many people begin to do that. And they think through the evidence of what had happened. And in his mind, I don't know if he thought about of all this, but one thing he probably did notice is the guards were immobilized. And, and where were they? They were gone. Now, the, they may have run from their post, but this would have cost them their lives. And these are hardened soldiers that had faced death many times. It didn't make sense that they weren't there. So something, something amazing must have occurred. He looked in and he saw the grave clothes. And then what happened is they would have used a hundred pounds of spices to wrap those, those grave clothes upon him. And, and there's no way someone would come to rob the body and slowly try to peel them off and put them back together. As a matter of fact, that might have even been impossible. And then the question might have been, why leave the head wrapping neatly sitting there? And so what happens, it's almost like the body had evaporated through the grave clothes. And so Peter, as he's looking at this, he's asking all these questions. Something incredible occurred. The guards aren't here. The grave clothes, the way that they're, that they're laying there, there's no way they could have been wrapped and unwrapped. And, and something beyond comprehension must have happened. And the perspective he had is huge to what he would see and perceive. So in verse 6, he's thoroughing the scene. He's asking what's going on here. Now, why was it tough? For Peter to come to an understanding of what had occurred. He spent three years with Jesus. He saw the miracles. But we still understand there probably were two amazing challenges for Peter to come to faith. The first was he had to come to terms with his own worldview. No matter what else he had seen. The bottom line is the fact that Jesus had died and been in the tomb three days and risen again. Probably still uh, uh, was something that he in his mind did not think could happen scientifically, it doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Even though he had seen Lazarus raised, he saw Jesus raise Lazarus. The kind of death that Jesus died and the kind of pain he experienced probably meant in his worldview, this just doesn't seem to happen. And the facts can't seem to be supported by this because dead people don't rise. A lot of people struggle today with that. They'd say, well, the reason I have a tough time believing in Christianity and believing in the, the whole idea of who Jesus is is because I really have to come to a belief that he rose from the dead. That just doesn't make sense to me. Dead people don't rise. And scientifically, we say, I'm not sure that makes sense. Well, we need to understand something. That while God is never asking for us not to, to, to think things through, he wants us to. And God's not asking us to vacate all the scientific discoveries we have today. We need to understand that science isn't always the explanation for what you see in front of you. An example of that happened to the J. Paul Getty Museum. In 1983, an art dealer approached them with the idea of buying a particular statue called the Kuros. And the Kuros is an ancient Greek statue. As a matter of fact, they thought that it dated back to 530 B.C. And the man wanted them to buy it for $10 million dollars. He had different certificates of authenticity. And so the Getty decided they would enter into the idea of buying this particular statue. And so for 14 months, they did scientific study after scientific study to see if it was true. They x-rayed it. Uh, they even did a, a version of a, a, a magnetic scanning upon it. They even got permission to take a piece off of it and analyze the piece to make sure it dated back to that particular time and was a marvel from that particular area of the world. 
And so after literally day after day after day, 14 months of scientific study, they came to the conclusion the statue was authentic and the J. Paul Getty Museum paid $10 million for the statue. It was prior to it being put on public display that it was down in a particular area being prepared for that, that one of the trustees who was an art expert, especially in Greek architect or Greek architecture and art, decided he wanted to see it and he got permission and he came down with a few of the other trustees. And when he walked up to the statue, he stopped and he actually gasped is what was said. And they said, what's wrong? And he said, the fingernails are off. And they all began to look at the fingernails and he said, something's wrong. This doesn't make sense to me. This can't be authentic. And they said, no, we studied it. All the scientific evidence supports that it's real. And he said, no, something's wrong with it. And then they began to bring in more experts. They began to look at different ways. They began to ask questions like, could we have been fooled? Could something else have occurred? And so now today, the vast majority of people, even at the Getty, believe that they were taken. As a matter of fact, when you go on the Getty's website or you go to the J. Paul Getty Museum, it has the sign underneath the Kuros. It says unknown at about 530 B.C. or, and it says in big print, a modern day forgery. The bottom line is scientific evidence was not as powerful as someone's momentary stirring and a glance and saying, oh, there's something else here we need to grab hold of. Now, what I'm saying is this God speaks once. He speaks twice and very often we don't get it. But when all of a sudden you begin to listen, when all of a sudden you're beginning to tune in and when you're like Peter standing there and looking, you know, or you're John. See, John in a moment realized there's something more, Peter, than you're seeing. And, and Peter needed to get to that point, too, that stirring inside and our great hope and desire is that every one of us would listen and understand that God is the God and the miraculous. Not only in the raising of Jesus and changing our life and showing us love and, and guiding us and, and doing amazing things. And the reason Jesus came and died was to forgive us of our sins. The reason he rose from the dead was to give us brand new life. And even though we might scientifically say that doesn't make sense, the bottom line is lots of things happen in this world that are beyond our senses. And here's the question, do we get it? I was reading a magazine from the University of Chicago and it was called the University of Chicago and Faith was their whole stories throughout the magazine. And they began to ask the question, does faith exist at the University of Chicago? One of the things the magazine stated I thought was interesting is that there are more Christians in the science departments of the University of Chicago than in the philosophy or religion departments. I thought that was kind of intriguing. But one of the scientists being uh, uh, interviewed, who's the head of the, the Fermi Institute at the University of Chicago, said this. He said, if you're a Christian and today there's something scientifically that's bothering you that seems to challenge your faith. He said, just hang in there, because in 10 years, that scientific fact will be disproven. You know what I want to say to you today? While we do not want you to discount science. We do not want to give up our intellectual abilities. As a matter of fact, we believe that Christianity is unique because it stands the test of time. What we're saying is at some point, you might miss God if you don't take your head, and like I did that day, and stick it in the water and open your eyes and begin to see the magnificence around you. It may be as simple as just saying these words. Father, reveal yourself to me. I really want to know you. I really want to be near you. I really want to experience you. And this resurrection of Jesus Christ changed history. It's changed the world. And Father, I want to know, will it change my life? And, and when you begin to ask that question, you're doing what Peter did as he stood there that day. And in verse 6, he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings and he began to ask the Thoreo question, theorizing, is it possible? Is it possible there's a God? 
Blaise Pascal said this. He said that what we ought to do is take a wager. We ought to examine the mountain of evidence that there really is a God and that Jesus Christ really is his son. And he says, what you ought to do, because it's so important to know the answer to that question, is invest yourself completely in it. And so Peter had to come to grips with something that you and I may need to come to grips with. Our worldview and perspective, is it always right? And maybe we need to step back and ask some deeper questions in life or dip your head in and begin to look at the magnificence around you. Because if you search for God, the Bible promises, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And on that day, Peter began to seek. Peter began to look and Peter found that Jesus was real. And he found life-changing, earth-changing, world-changing moments happening after that for him. The next thing that Peter had to come to grips with was his own failure. He had denied the Lord. As a matter of fact, he had denied him three times. And he even cursed in the midst of denying him. In his mind, knowing Peter and from studying about his life, there probably was no greater failure and no greater sin. No greater thing he could possibly have done than literally denied and cursed him. And now he's wondering if he did rise from the dead, what does that mean for me? Am I going to be accepted? He had this amazing moral failure. He had looked Jesus directly in the eye right after it happened. And and so what happened is Peter is is in the midst of, of trying to decide what to do. But we need to understand that Jesus knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know. That Peter, in the midst of having great moments of failure, also had great moments of victory. I mean, that, that both were true of him. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that Pascal, when he was talking about the beliefs and the proofs of God, And not only of God, but of Jesus in Christianity. Pascal said this. He said, one of the reasons we can believe that there is a God and that Christianity is true and the Bible is true is because it's the one book, the one religious document that takes into account that the complexities of man, that man can be amazingly good and amazingly evil. And that you can see both in somebody. And and it's not that one person's painted as completely evil. Even Judas, even Judas showed his moments of shining glory. And, and Pascal says, when you begin to see that, you begin to find what's true and what's not true. And so you need to be able to take something like this that makes sense to you so that you actually would get it. We see that all the time. We see people doing amazingly horrible things. We see an amazing amount of evil within the world. And a lot of people ask this question. If there's a loving God, how can there be so much evil? Uh, M. Scott Peck, uh, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, and later became a Christian after writing it, said that he began to ask another question. In a world so evil, how can there be so much good? No matter what way you approach it, the bottom line is you see both. And and, and in Peter, we saw both. There were moments he rose heroically, and there were other moments he crashed and burned. And, And God looks at you, and he looks at me, and he looks at Peter, and he takes both into account, the good and the bad. I'm always amazed at the amazingly good things you can see in people. One of those things happened a few years ago. In McDermott, Ohio, Jake Porter was a student in McDermott High School, and he was born with fragile X disease. And it was a syndrome that caused him not to be able to grow at the proper rate, not to be able to function mentally like maybe what we would consider normal. And that's a kind of a loose term anymore. But he wasn't able to keep up in learning. But McDermott had decided to mainstream as many special need children as they could. And so Jake, with his resilient spirit, his great desire, he really rose to that occasion. He had a lot of amazing moments in life. When he was a freshman in high school, the homecoming queen of McDermott High asked him to be her date, even though freshmen were not typically allowed, and she brought him to escort her at the, at the prom. 
You know, uh, it it's went on there. Jake was invited to join the football team, even though there was no way he could ever play a play. And, and he ended up joining track, and, and the teams res responded around him. And everybody said that the school was a better place because of Jake Porter and because of his love and exuberance and resilience for life, but also for the students taking the time to show love back. And then in his senior year, McDermott was playing football against Waverly High, which was a football powerhouse. And there was no way they had a hope to win the game. So McDermott's coach, whose name was Dave France, called up Derek DeWitt, the coach of uh, Waverly High. And he said, um, hey, I want you to know something. You probably know we have Jake Porter on our team. And, and Derek DeWitt said, yeah, I met Jake. I talked to him at the track meets and stuff. He's a great young guy. And Dave said, you know, I, I, I've had him on the team. He's never missed a practice. He works really hard. And, and I think you guys are going to probably beat us pretty bad. And if the game's really out of hand, I, I want to let you know this. My plan is that the last play of the game uh, that I can, I'm going to put Jake in and I'm going to have him take the ball and take a knee. And uh, Derek said, hey, let's do it, Dave. Let's do it. I think that'd be a great moment. Well, it, when the game started, it was clear that, that Waverly was just going to destroy them. And so as the game went on, they literally were up 42 to nothing on their way to a state championship and another major shutout. And, and it came to the last seconds of the game. And uh, Dave France called timeout and, and he sends Jake in. And all of a sudden, before they could restart the clock, Derek DeWitt called time and he walked to the middle of the field and called Dave France over. And they're standing together eye to eye and everybody in the stands on both sides could see them talking and, and Dave shaking his head no and Derek's just being more adamant than ever. And, and finally he got his way and, and he walked back and and Dave, uh, on the way back to the field, stopped by his quarterback and whispered some words and went. And then what happened is the teams lined up and they hiked the ball. And, and that quarterback handed off to Jake. And Jake got ready to take a knee, but the fullback threw his arms around him and held him up and wouldn't let him go. And then they all began to point towards the end zone. Now, not just the, the McDermott players, even the Waverly players are screaming and shouting and pointing towards the end zone. And Jake takes off with time running out and he runs 55 yards to score a touchdown. As he's going, his arms pumping in the air and he's going in and he's getting standing ovation from both sides. And both teams are following and yelling and cheering and screaming. And uh, Waverly gave up a shutout. So that they could touch the life of Jake Porter. And Jake Porter started a ripple effect that touched not only McDermott, but Waverly's lives. Um, later on in an interview with Derek DeWitt, he said, I wasn't ready for what occurred from that moment. I was glad to do that for Jake. He's a great kid. He said, but I noticed something changing in our high school after that. People treated each other with more love and more care and more respect. The bullying just almost seemed to vanish the rest of that year. And he said, that young guy was used by God to change our school. Now, you know, the bottom line is this, is that we all have good in our lives and bad in our lives. And we have to ask a question, you know, what, what, what is going to happen to us? How am I going to explain humanity? How am I going to explain myself? Why do I find myself struggling back and forth that way? And the reality is, is that the Bible teaches that everybody in the end is loved by God. Everybody's sought by God. That Jesus came and died on the cross for the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And we all have this problem called sin, good and bad. And then do we want, do we want this new life? Peter had to come to grips with something, his own failure was causing him not only in the moment he denied Jesus, but in this one to run from Jesus. Later on, some angels would appear to two women, to Mary and Mary, and they would say, go and tell the apostles he's risen and tell Simon Peter. 
Why? Because Peter was going to hide out and not realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single sin he committed, including denying him. And Jesus wanted him back. And Jesus loved him. And we need to understand in Mark 16, verse 7, when those message came, you go tell Peter that the bottom line is God's great desire was that he would have him know his love and care. And Peter had to come to grips with his own failure, his own iniquity, his own failings in life so he could open up to the hands of a living God. You see, in moments like that, we understand something that God is speaking. God speaks to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's why so many of us have gathered today. That's why in all the world, all of a sudden, there's an amazing pause on Easter where millions and millions of people come together and and acknowledge the fact that Jesus is real and he rose from the dead. Or, Or maybe they ask, is he real? But they start to find that's true. Our hope and prayer today is that every one of us would know a God who loves that way, whose resurrection power is beyond anything we can imagine. But if we stop and we kind of dip our head into it, we perceive it in a way that's amazing. And my hope is right now that you would know that God loves you. You would have a relationship with him. You would experience the magnificence of God. And you would not say what Jacob said, surely the Lord God was here and I didn't know. But you would say, I know he's here and I know him and I know his love. If today that doesn't describe you, if you can't honestly say that you have this amazing, amazing relationship with God and love for God, I want you to know that he wants it for you. I want you to know that he wants you to have it more than you could know. He literally moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. And he did it out of love. And right now, right now, if you aren't in a very personal, intimate relationship with God, I want to invite you to come into that. You might ask, how do I do it? Well, the Bible says there's two steps. The first is to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That means to pray. And so what you would need to do is say, okay, Lord, I want this life. I want you. I want the forgiveness. I believe. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And if anyone would open up to him, he would come into him. And he would share in an intimate, amazing life and relationship together. The question is, are you ready to open up? Are you ready to say those words? Lord, come into my life. Forgive me and cleanse me. I want to be yours. I want to be the person you want me to be. And today, on this Easter Sunday, if you would do that, you would find an amazing resurrection of love and life and peace and joy in your heart like you can't imagine. The power of God will come and move. Now, that's the first step. The second step is to acknowledge that in front of people. And how do you do that? Well, in our time right now, what we're about to do is go to a time of prayer. And if you would like to pray this prayer with me to give your life to Christ, I'm going to invite you right where you're sitting to do it. And then after we've prayed the prayer, if you pray that prayer and you really mean it, whether you do it for the first time and saying you're committing your life to Christ or you want to come back to him, what you can do in that next moment is we're going to ask you, Now I know it seems scary, but we're going to ask you right where you're at to stand up And to make your way right over here. And we have some counselors who will be over there. And I know it might seem scary. And you might say, why would I want to do this? And here's why. Because Jesus said that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my fathers in heaven. It always starts by having a private moment with God where you're sitting in your seat and you're saying yes to him. And you pray that prayer. And then the next step is for you to actually stand up and walk out. And as you walk away from there, what you're saying is, I want this new life. I want the new love. I want to experience him completely. And Jesus said, if you would now let everyone know about the decision you've just made, you confess me before men, then I'm going to touch you in a special way.
I'm going to call you mine. I'm going to make sure you're God's child. You're going to enter into a relationship with God as your heavenly father. In other words, what we're saying to you is you're willing to step out and make that walk as scary as it is. You're going to experience God touching you in a way that may get incredibly emotional. And if that happens, don't fight it off. Just embrace it. Embrace him and what he's doing. And as you're walking, it's a conscious worship experience saying, you know what? No more. Life is the same. I'm ready to be different. I'm ready to be changed. And so what happens is that prayer you prayed connects you in a deeper way to God as you make that walk. So it starts by talking to him and then it goes with walking with him. But let's start with the first step right now. Do you want to give your life to Christ? Do you want to experience his love? Do you want to have his healing and from your hurts and your life and freedom from fear? If so, I want you to know he loves you. He cares about you and he wants you. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask right now that your Holy Spirit would move in this room. You would touch each person who's sitting here. And God, I know that you know each one of us by name. And I know you know each person. You knew where they would sit. You know what they're thinking. God, you know the people right now who are, they showed up because they are hurting and they were hoping to come and say something that would make a difference. And there's nothing that can make a difference more than the fact that you love them and that you want life with them. And this could happen. And so for that person who said, I just want my life to be different. I want it to change. I want to experience something. God, I take, I, I just ask, I pray, I beg right now that your spirit would touch them in a way that they would experience you. And I pray, Lord, for the person who's sitting there. And they feel like that they've done some things and that they can't believe they would ever have done. And yet Peter did the same thing. And I pray they heard the message that, that you love and you care for them. There's nothing they could ever do. You wouldn't love them. And I pray right now they'd open up. God, for the person who's been struggling, they're just struggling back and forth. They feel like they just can't seem to come, come completely to you. God, I pray today's the day by the power of your spirit and your resurrection, they would. So God, we pray you touch people right now. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for those around you who need to make this decision? Just, just right now, would you pray for those who need to make this decision? So here's the question. I'm about to lead that prayer. Do you want to do it? Do you want to say yes to him? Or do you want to come back? Do you want to have that, that vitality, that life? If so, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to free me from my fears, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to know we could not be more excited for you, but I want to tell you that God is too. 
But right now, I'm going to say this. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, no matter where you're at, if you prayed that prayer in a minute, when we stand to sing, I'm going to ask you to make your way to one of the aisle areas and then head right over here. And I want to tell you, people would love to let you out. And if you want to grab a friend's hand or a family member's hand and say, you know what, I made the decision, come support me. But if you said yes to God today, do this with us, share this with us and connect to God in a deeper way. So let's stand together. And right now, if God called you right now, if God called you, start making your way out and getting ready to head over here. Don't even let anything hold you back. So let's stand, let's sing. And if God called, please come, please come.